This episode is brought to you by Wild Foods. Mercedes, I know you're not a big coffee drinker, so what do you start your day with? Yes, I'm currently obsessed with Wild Foods Co.'s mushroom powders, and specifically their Cocoa Tropic, which is a proprietary blend of mushrooms, turmeric, and cacao powder. I usually add it to my tea or my smoothie in the morning, but it can actually be used on its own or in coffee too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I add it with extra cacao and it also has maca powder in it. Yum. And because Wild Foods is a food company that puts quality, sustainability, and health first in all of their products, you can trust that their ingredients are real and delicious. And because we know how health conscious our magic mob is, Wild Foods is offering the Magic Hour listeners 12% off your entire order. Yep, 12% off. To sign up, go to wildfoods.co slash discount slash magic hour. That's magic with a J. Again, go to wildfoods.co slash discount slash magic hour to get your discount. This is part two. If you missed part one of this episode, you can find it in our podcast library now. If you're all caught up, welcome back. To recap though, the best way to detox your liver is one of the best ways is that you would recommend would be intermittent fasting. um, Intermittent fasting. Uh Uh, definitely lots of cruciferous, cruciferous. Yeah. Uh, blending is really good. Um, as well as juicing like fruits and veggies. Um, when we're looking at, when we're looking at someone and we really want to help their liver, it's almost like there's a a two week period where they could almost be vegan. You know, they can get their protein completely Mm. plant-based from like things like hemp seed, um, and almond. Um, and they can go, total cruciferous vegetables. They can do a lot of sprouts. Um, when we look at sprouts, like broccoli sprouts, for example, have anywhere between 10 and a hundred times the amount of nutritional density than the actual adult broccoli florets. Broccoli sprouts. Yeah. Broccoli (laughs) sprouts. Huge. Yeah. Tremendous amount of sulfur too. If you ever just eat them and chew them straight, you'll find out. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) They look like uh, alfalfa sprouts, right? Yeah. They, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, What about eggs with sulfur? The eggs are very sulfur smelling. I'm just wondering. Yeah. Eggs. So here again, when we get to the liver, so the, the friends of the liver are like the plants. You uh-huh. know, that's really, it's the cruciferous vegetables, uh, berries are great. The enemy to the liver is any type of dense animal protein, okay. especially starting with the red meats being the worst for the liver. So if you're trying to detox your liver, red meats are definitely not going to get you there. Eggs are also hard on the liver. They're also hard on the gallbladder. Um, so eggs are not good. If you wanted to go with a, an animal type of food, and you're trying to help the liver, you can go with uh, a quality squishy. Mm-hmm. It's got to be wild caught. Mm-hmm. Um, and or if you wanted to do like wild caught salmon, um, and it's there's a couple companies that are good, uh, like Wild Alaskan, they had Wild Alaska, they have a good um a good a good salmon, the way they farm it. Um, it's it's great for the environment, it's very environmentally conscious, but it's also farmed in areas where there's low likelihood of those fish being like toxic, you know, filled with like junk. Yeah. So, do, with, with that, do you feel like sushi is safe as long as you're, as far as parasites go and such, as long as it's wild caught um, and your body's able to detox properly? Yeah. I think it's pretty safe if you go to the right restaurant because like, so sushi, um, I forget what the degrees are, but it has to be frozen at a specific degree for mm. a certain period of time. 
it's like it's like negative 30 something celsius or, or fahrenheit or something. so you don't want like fresh sushi like at the fancy super fancy restaurants when they're like we just flew this in or right. just caught it so yeah. yeah so so typically if they just if they just flew it in um it would have been frozen frozen mm-hmm. oh okay yeah so they would catch it they would freeze it uh, like there's one way to do it where i think it only takes an hour or something like that you have to freeze it at like i wish i had the numbers for you guys it's like negative something degrees Fahrenheit and you have to freeze it for like an hour. And then after that hour, you can thaw and any of the parasites that are in there or eggs are going to be dead because ah. that's too harsh of a temperature for, um, for them. And then they thaw it and it's essentially fresh. Now, if you're ever with someone on a boat and you catch yeah. a ocean, that's a little different. Um, Is that sketchy or what? It's sketchy. Yeah, it's sketchy. But a lot of the, like, let's just take salmon, for example. Salmon doesn't have a whole lot of par- parasites in it. So that. good when it's not previously frozen. Amen, sister. Um, <laughs> so salmon doesn't have a whole lot of parasites in it that really affect the human body. There's one, it's, um, I think it's a tapeworm, and it will, it'll attach to our stomach and make you really sick, but it's only for like a couple of days, and then it can't live in our body, and your body excretes it out. So, mm. so there's not a whole lot of parasites in sushi. What fish has the most parasites? I don't know the answer to that one. That's a, mm. that's a really good question, but I don't know the answer to that one. You mean you're not a fish expert too? <laughs> <laughs> well. Game in order, Mercedes. <laughs> I walk out of this interview with my head hung low. Oh my God, no. You have so much, just a wealth of information. That's why I just keep asking you questions. Um, I did want to ask about, because we were talking about the liver and it being able to process, you know, the nutrients we need out of these foods or it being important in order for it to, to function, the liver to function properly itself. When we're talking about iron, because that's something I struggle with and yeah. a lot of women tend to struggle with and men, I guess, struggle on the other end of it, right? Like too much iron. Right. What's going on there? So a couple things. So let's take women first, because I think overall we see more iron problems in women than men for sure. Um, there's a few things that are happening. Uh, when there's, when there's an iron deficiency state or there's anemia that's occurring, we got to look first at the stomach because the digestion of iron, you have to have enough stomach acid present. If there's not enough stomach acid present for the individual, they're going to have a hard time being able to absorb iron, you know? So that's the first thing. The second thing, Mm -hmm. a lot of the iron is absorbed right in the lower intestinal tract. So um, in the small, small intestine. So if there's stuff like SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, if there's stuff like that present, it's going gonna, it's gonna to impair the ability of iron to be absorbed. And then and there's medications. Like so many people are on medications, you know? Yes. Uh, it's just nuts. And there's, there's a handful of them um, that will interfere with iron absorption. So I think it's really, I think it's really important when there's iron deficiency anemia to to look at, you know, what's, what's going on is one, is there enough in the diet? Two, is your stomach acidic enough to digest it? And three, what's happening in the small intestines, you know, is your, is your, are your small intestines able to absorb the stuff that you, you're taking in? Yeah. That's what, go sorry, good. What are the symptoms of iron deficiency? Mm, so you're tired, you know, you're really tired. You get brain fog, your muscles get achy or you could have like achiness almost in your bones. Um, your, your, your capacity to remember is just kind of shocked. You know, you can mm. have Cause a lot of these symptoms are similar. All of the, like adrenal and thyroid and that's um, why you got to test, right? Yeah. Because when someone comes in symptomatically to me, I'm like, Oh, that's one of 47,000 different things you could have. So let's now. Yeah. Adapt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about the, um, the, on the men's side is the symptoms is, since it's the opposite, what would their symptoms be? 
So their symptoms, if they're actually iron deficient and mm-hmm. is going to be the same, mm-hmm. um, if the guys have too much, right? That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's known as like hemochromatosis. Those guys have a different, so some of them are actually asymptomatic. Um, they could be asymptomatic mm. for a while. Mm. Um, other ones will get cramps. They'll get like leg cramps. They'll get achiness hmm. in the legs. Yeah. Um, it's one of the symptoms that they can get, but, but for those guys, that's a, that can be a little tricky because, um, when there's too much iron, the iron will start to deposit in different organs and mm. it'll create these kind of odd symptoms. And it's not until they go to the doctor and the doc goes, well, let's do a blood panel and they go, uh-huh. whoa, man, your, yeah. your iron levels are through the roof, right? It's so yeah. funny too, because in our culture, well, first of all, you know, women have periods. So we get to detox a lot of that extra yeah. iron out if we have too much or someone who bleeds too much like me probably needs to like not do that so much. So that's a whole nother thing. Um, but men, especially in our culture, are told we got to eat red meat. We got to be mm-hmm. stuffing our face full of iron all the time. And you alpha got, male, yeah, you don't have any way to detox that stuff regularly like we do. So it's very, it's dangerous. Yeah, I'm also curious. You brought up um, eggs a couple times. What if you're eating pasture raised eggs? I eat two pasture raised eggs every day. And my kids eat one every day. If they're pasture raised and organic, is that okay or? Awesome. Yeah. We're talking specifically for the liver. liver. I was like specific for someone that really wants to detox their liver. If you're going to do a two week liver detox or something like that, the eggs you don't want to do. So, but us having those every day is not going to negatively affect our liver. Organic pasteurized eggs. I have them periodically as well. So you say that pH is one of the most misunderstood topics in natural healthcare. And I myself have a really hard time understanding it. Can you explain the pH scale? Sure. Yeah. So the pH scale is a scale, um, it's an arbitrary scale from basically one to 14, right? And one to seven or one to 6.9 is acidic. And then seven is totally neutral, which would just be pure water. And then 7.1 to 14, that's going to be what's called alkaline or basic. Um, so that's how that scale is kind of broken down. And I think I think one of the problems that occurs in healthcare today is when we discuss pH, we have this, everyone says alkalize, you know, they're like, got to alkalize your body, mm-hmm. alkalize your body. And I'm not exactly sure where that comes from. I have an idea where it comes from. And that is the pH of your blood is between 7.3 and 7.4, um, and which is slightly alkaline. So I think maybe that came from there. They're thinking eat foods that are more alkaline. And, then and like alkaline water is super trendy right now too. Yeah. I'm not a big advocate of alkaline water because you push your body into a condition called alkalosis. Your body has to maintain this pH, your bloodstream has to maintain this pH of 7.3 to 7.4. If it goes to alkaline, your body is going to do certain things. It's going to disrupt, it's going to disrupt certain normal biochemical reactions that need to take place. And it's going to disrupt those things to take the other stuff it needs, the minerals and things it needs, or or the acid, the chloride ions that it needs, or hydrogen ions to bring your blood more into an acidic state if it goes to alkaline. So drinking loads of alkaline water, unless you're a cancer patient, is not necessarily an ideal thing because it's going to push your body into too far of an alkaline state. And the same thing with acids. Um, So... That's my thought on that. When we look at the gut, you know, we ha- when we look at digestion, like we talked about, the first parts in your mouth, slightly acidic. Mm-hmm. In your stomach, acid. You've ha- you had to take Mercedes, um, right. beta-, 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 beta, add the hydrochloric acid back into your gut, right? 
So that's, that's acidic. Um, so we need to have certain acids in our digestive tract. And actually, there was clinical research that showed the more alkaline your col- the pH of the colon stool, the higher the chance was and the occurrence of colorectal cancer. That's wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's really, we need to acidify the gut. You know, we need to make sure, and I don't mean go eat a hunk of meat. That's not what I mean. I need to, I mean, we need to make sure there's enough acid there for our digestion. Apple cider vinegar, betaine, hydrochloride, those type of foods are going to aid in the digestive processes, but also acidifying our gut. And really just normal digestion without pouring a whole bunch of alkaline water into your system. Cause that's just going to like I said, it's going to create a condition of alkalosis in your body. It's not going to be good for you in the long run, that's for sure. Yeah. So the, the ACV is good to have every day? For most people, as long as you don't have gastritis or stomach ulcers, um, then yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So the, it's such a, it, it is a really trendy topic right now, you know, being alkaline or eating alkaline. And especially with, um, of course, cancer patients attempting to, create more alkalinity in their body and the way that I understand it, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but when it comes to specifically like alkaline water, if you're putting alkaline water in your stomach where you want it to be acid, Mm -hmm. because that's where all the initial digestion happens, then you're diluting the acidity. And if you're having that too close to the food that you're trying to digest, it doesn't allow the digestion that needs to happen inside the stomach to happen. So then it, your food carries on to the rest of your um, digestive system without being digested properly up to that point. Is correct. that okay? Yeah, that's 100% correct. And, but the other point of that is mm-hmm. when you drink water, that water and, and a lot of its stuff that yeah. make it alkaline or acidic are absorbed immediately into your bloodstream, or mm-hmm. almost immediately, right? Mm-hmm. Within 20 minutes. So you put that water in your gut, that water enters your bloodstream. And if that water has a pH of 10, your bloodstream goes, whoa, what the heck, man? All right, we got to now steal the stuff Ah. we would use to make hydrochloric acid. We got to steal that stuff and bring it into the blood so we can make the blood less alkaline or else you'll go into a condition of alkalosis and die. So the body has to make that pH. What is the best water to drink? My personal opinion, this is what I do at home, so my wife and kids do. Um, I like a reverse osmosis water. So a five-state reverse osmosis system. So it completely pulls everything out of the water. So it's a neutral pH 7.0, but then it goes through a remineralizer, which is basically a, you know, like tube filled with all different minerals in it. And it passes through the minerals and the pH of the water comes out about 7.4. So right around the pH of your blood. And that I think is the best because you've got mineral rich water. It tastes delicious and there's no junk in it. And it's, Mm. Cost-effective for people yeah. because of buying you know plastic water bottles all the right. time. Um, yeah, I yeah, do. And I saw, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say personally, I love um, Mountain Spring Valley, Mountain Valley Spring, I believe it's called. Mm-hmm. It's the green glass bottles normally, yeah, yeah. Mm. but they also deliver instead of like getting the sparklets or whatever, they deliver big four-gallon bottles. Um, cool. yeah, the in, problem is in glass. No, they're in, you can get them in glass. It's very expensive to do it that way, but you can get mm-hmm. uh, four gallon glass bottles or you can get four gallon gallon green plastic bottles, which does change the alkalinity and all that too. But mm-hmm. I think that because it's mineralized, um, and by the way, I can tell very much the difference, just the way that my, the thing that I use to dispense it, it collects the minerals. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. at Whole Foods is where I refill my water. They have the 
pH balance, which is like nine something, 9.4, 9.7. And it's twice the price. Then they have the DNIs in the reverse osmosis. And I just, I get 13 gallons a week and I just split it between the DNIs and the reverse osmosis, but I do get the plastic. It's it's um, BPA free, but uh-huh. I know with the phthalates, uh, is it how you say it? Phthalates? Phthalates. Yeah. Yeah. I know that I'm still probably absorbing that from storing my water in there. Um, I just, I'm a single mom with two toddlers and carrying a five gallon <laughs> thing of glass is very hard for me. I break the plastic ones enough. So, um, but I did see you mention that we have plastic showing up in our poop. Mm. Yeah. So, um, and how that's affecting our liver. Can you, um, yeah, talk to us about sure. that? First off, I think, you know, to backstep for a second, we, you, we have to also live a practical lifestyle and it's not mm-hmm. about, it's not for me, life is not about perfection. It's a being and attaining the best that I could be for everyone that I'm connected to. Um, and I think like some people, sometimes they get too hard on themselves. They're like, well, you know, I do this right and this right and this right and this right and this right. But man, I don't, like, I drink out of the plastic water. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what? You know, you're doing these other, as long as it's not um, one time use plastic. Yeah. Okay. Don't do that. Okay. <laughs> for the planet. That's, that's not just bad for you. That's bad yeah. for the planet. <laughs> that's right. That's good for the environment. Amen. Yeah. Um, so when we look at that, right, if someone just for themselves is doing, you know, 89 things right and is doing 10 or 11 things wrong, it's, there's a balance there right. with the body. Mm-hmm. Okay. The body can handle that. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about individual topics here. So as far as the poop in the plastic or the plastic mm-hmm. in the poop, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so there's there's some research now that's being done. There's one that came out of uh, Vienna, out of Vienna Medical School. And it was a small study, but it showed 100% of the people, they had uh, plastic in their poop. So actually- Wow, 100%. 100%. There was another study that was done, which was a bit bigger. Um, and that one had about 50, roughly 50% of the participants had plastic in our in their poop. And so that's probably not just from drinking out of plastic, but from eating um, fish that's eating plastic. Eating fish that's eating plastic, microwaving in plastic. You know, we're in a fast mm. food, fast environment. People go home, they throw a dinner in the microwave, they spit it I didn't up, think about that. Yeah. Off, right? They eat it. Yeah. Pencils, um, all that type of stuff. Styrofoam has styrenes in it and plastic like. I can't you know, believe we're still making styrofoam. Isn't it just silly? Right. It's like, come on, environment, come on, people, catch up. Yeah. It's destructive to our environment and to our people. Um, yeah, so that so that it's it's there is. There's this conglomeration of plastic. And we know that plastic in and of itself has the potential to be linked to all kinds of inflammatory conditions, uh, type two diabetes. Um, phthalates particularly are linked to type type two diabetes. Um, we know that plastics are endocrine, some of the stuff in there are endocrine disruptors. Even if it's BPA-free, there's other chemicals and substances that can be connected to that. So um, I, think it's, I think it's, one, it's great for the environment. Two, it's great for the individual. And three, it's great for the individual's family and friends. If we, if we work towards reducing the amount of plastics that we use, you know, look, if I'm real thirsty and I don't have anything but a plastic water bottle around, I'm going to drink it mm-hmm. because I'm thirsty and I need something, mm-hmm. right? But, um, but I think when there's, there's, when that's it, when we're relying on plastic for everybody, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, look, if a hundred percent of these people had plastic in their poop, plastic surgery is going to mean something totally different. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it, it's just, it's, it's a little, it's a little, little too much. So I think. And you think about too, how much you spend on the 24 pack from Costco or Sam's club, whatever 
on plastic water bottles. Think about how much you're spending on that versus these reusable ones. This was a gallon reusable water bottle that's plastic free was $13. Right. So you also think about the money that you're saving as well when you're giving up the single use. Mm-hmm. Yep. Huge savings. Yeah. All right. So I, I don't know if I'm be, you know, kicking a dead horse here, which I hate that saying, so I don't know why I just used it, but, um, when we're skipping around a lot, but I think anyone listening can, uh, appreciate that it gives them time to digest a little piece. And then when we come back around, maybe they'll have a little insight into it now. Um, so as we were talking about alkalinity versus acidity, the pH scale and how our bodies um, try to run at, I guess I'm going to say it this way. You correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just trying to get a simple minded understanding of this because it's a really complex idea. I think for a lot of people, especially because of how it's being sold in so many directions out there in the market. Um, Our body and maybe is it specifically our blood wants to run at a 7.3 ish pH. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so when we're consuming the all alkaline diet, that might be a lot of these anti-inflammatory foods we're talking about. Um, you know, for anyone listening, meat and dairy, it's a very acidic food. So that's the, kind of the opposite of people who are doing an all alkaline diet. Um, and so when we're doing that, I think the idea is that as I consume these foods or this water that's high alkaline, um, I'm creating this, this, uh, my, I'm going to be at an 11 on the pH scale, you know, or something like that. But just to simplify that concept, if I'm getting this right, it's a matter of, we want to maintain our, well, our body has to maintain a 7.2 to 7.4 ish pH in order to be okay, in order to be copacetic. And it's always buffering in order to do that. So no matter what you put in it, whether you're putting in something at an 11 pH or something at a four, your body has to figure out how to regulate it so that it stays at the Mm 7.3. Okay. And so with that, whenever we are um, over consuming in one direction or the other, it's putting the pressure on all of our buffering systems and stressing us actually more than helping us at some degree. Am yep. I getting that right? Okay. So yeah, that's, that's spot on. And and I think Mercedes, I think the biggest culprit in that mm-hmm. is actually not so much the diet, like alkaline diet, like the alkaline foods, those are all great healing foods. Do an alkaline diet. Absolutely. It's the alkaline water specifically. Okay. Yeah. That's the item. You know, that's like the the criminal here in the in the lineup. Um, it's, and, that's the bad guy. And so if we're talking about, okay, we, we know now that there's some really great foods we can go to, to have a, um, to keep us, uh, from having to buffer so hard or from stressing right. our buffering systems. Uh, because if we ate an all acidic diet or an all meat diet for that matter, our buffering systems may have to turn on to such a degree that our bodies are hyper-focused on trying to do that buffering and get us to that regulated pH where it needs to be that it is distracted essentially from fighting off the cancer cells or fighting off the other disease in our body. And that's where it can become harmful to have a very acidic diet or to live a very acidic lifestyle. Is that right? Okay. And so that's where the cancer piece plays in and why alkaline diet is so heavily, um, sold in the in this, in the cancer, uh, directed marketing. Is that? Yeah. Okay. 
And, and I would agree with that statement hundred percent like that. And out, al- there's nothing wrong with an alkaline diet, right? Yeah. Um, it's the, it's the idea. People take a concept of, and this is just my, my thoughts. I still don't know where this came from, but my thought is, okay, we got this pH of 7.3 to 7.4. We know when we eat alkaline type of foods like asparagus and celery and mm-hmm. things like that, they're, they're really good for our body. So we then should alkalize. So let's make an alkaline water, right? That sounds great. We could probably sell that and right. people will buy it. But I don't, I just, I really don't think for the majority of people, I think that's one thing they should not do is alkaline water. Cool. All right. I know I get bloated, right? Like when I drink alkaline water, it, it actually bloats me. So that's, I think my body telling me not to do it. Probably a good indicator. I would listen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, and I was having the same issue because I was like, okay, alkaline all the way when this all kicked off and I was getting bloated. And so started asking those questions and came to the conclusion that what's happening is I'm diluting the acid in my stomach. And so again, my food is not being digested properly at the forefront of my digestive system. So when it moves into the rest of my, um, into my colon, it is not digested. So therefore the end, the, uh, the, the gut bugs, you know, the bacteria in my body that's trying to digest and use that food and convert it into energy and all the things that my body does can't because it hasn't been properly digested up to that point and therefore the bloating happens bloating mm-hmm. is a sim- symptom of your gut bugs not being mm-hmm. able to digest the the food properly right so right. that makes me wonder though then because brussels sprouts bloat me sun uh pumpkin seeds bloat me mm-hmm. um carbonated water bloats me like so if anything bloats me does that mean i need to stay away from it because i feel like brussels sprouts and broccoli are great for you but they, I get bloated right away. Yep. Well, one, I'm sorry, you get bloated. That stinks. <laughs> um, but two, you're making it worse. <laughs> happening. <laughs> Dave, why do you get so bloated? What's wrong with you? Um, no. So, so we do have to listen to our body, but sometimes mm-hmm. we have to take it a step further. When we have a food that's good for us, or good for us, mm-hmm. but it's not good for you as an individual. It could just be one, your body genetically doesn't process that food well. Maybe it's missing some mm. enzymes or, or it just doesn't do well for a variety of factors. But then there's the other factor, which is, well, why isn't your body digesting that food well? Like what else is going on? There mm. might be, right? There might be a little gut bug that you have that you just don't know about that shouldn't be there. And that's interfering with your capacity to digest. You might have a little what's called pancreatic insufficiency. Maybe your pancreas has been working really hard for a long time and it's not making adequate amounts of enzymes. So you're putting these foods that take a lot of digestive enzymes to break down, high fiber foods. And so is the solution to take more digestive enzymes, maybe? Or probiotics or yeah. It could be, yeah. A definite solution is to support each part of your digestive tract temporarily. But again, we gotta get causation here. We gotta get we gotta get behind the reason, Mm -hmm. right? It's I tell my patients all the time, I go, some people come in, they're like, they're like, you know, I'm, I live in Georgia, right? So people are from, from the South and they'll be like, yo, doc. And I'm like, yeah, they'd be like, you got something for my hobby? <laughs> like, well, I'm like, yeah, I mean, what are you doing? Ah, doctors got me on that damn medication and I hate taking it. And I'll be like, okay, well, I mean, I can give you some herbs that may have the same effect, mm-hmm. but what am I really doing for that guy? We're just replacing a blood right. pressure mm-hmm. or an herb, which is healthier for him, right. for sure, right? But am I really getting to the cause? No. So it's really about kind of getting to the cause. So when if someone has symptoms like that, I really think, I think one of the messages I hope people take away from this conversation is to, to pay attention to their body, to listen, and then to look. 
you know, yeah. not be okay with some odd symptom. Like what, wh- what is that? What's my body trying to tell me? You know, where's mm. that coming from? And so. we got to be de- willing to do that type of work. I think we mm-hmm. get, we're all doing a lot of work. I'm not telling anyone out there that they're not working hard enough. It's just, right. what are you working hard on? And is it going to be mm-hmm. the thing that allows you to have longevity and a beautiful, enjoyable right. life, right? We just need to transfer some of that hard work onto the stuff that really matters at the end, because it's the only thing that brings you to the end, your body. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You got it. So, um, we could, I mean, I have so many things to continue I, going I on. I know. It's like, it's, <laughs> it it's, takes it's, us it's so insane. long to ask one question. <laughs> I know. Um, a lot of people don't think about their lymphatic system. So can you go into exactly what that is and how we can cleanse it? Certainly. Um, so the lymphatic system is a system in our body, um, that has a couple main functions. One is detoxification. So it is responsible for removing from our cells and in the spaces around our cells, toxins, debris, poisons, things like that, that would accumulate and getting them essentially to the liver, uh, not directly, but indirectly to the liver. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then to, um, also be an immunological presence. There, there's a lot of lymphocytes, white blood cells in our lymphatic fluid, and so it fights mm. infection. So that's its main job. Detoxification, the other job is basically an immune type of action. Um, and it's super important for the body. Like, I don't, it's, it's not really talked about enough. It's when you, when you look at just lymph fluid, you mm-hmm. have three times more lymph fluid in your body than you have blood. What? Yaha, three X. <laughs> Wow. 3x lymph fluid. I do not lie, Jay. That's the truth. Wow. So it's, there's, you have a lot of this stuff because there's so much going on outside your bloodstream. There's so much going on like in between the cells where there's not really blood per se. There's fluids called extra, the extracellular space, extracellular <laughs> fluid. And the lymph is going through all that stuff and cleaning that stuff up. And when there's too much toxin or too much congestion that's built up in the lymph system, it interferes with the cell's ability to get nutrients and to even get oxygen. You know, it's like you have a cell, like, you know, you have a cell and your body needs to get oxygen to that cell. Well, if in between the space between the cell and the oxygen molecule, it's all filled up with all this gunk. Mm -hmm. It's like, you can't get there. It's like having a big accident on a highway. You just can't get to where you need to go. You're just bumper to bumper. So the limb system is really important to, to look at. As far as detoxification, one of the easiest ways to detoxify the lymphatic system is um, early morning lemon water combined with some mild intermittent fasting, like you're avoiding food for at least 12 hours, so you're giving the liver a break. So the liver Does the lemon be- water need to be warm? Yeah, it should be. Thank you. Yeah, it should okay. be ideally warm, warm, warm lemon water. And if it's um, hot, it supposedly kills the benefits of the lemon, right? Yeah, you don't want to make it too hot because then it could destroy some of the enzymes and stuff. Yeah, okay. But, but, but ideally, warm lemon water first thing in the, in, in the morning and movement is what really helps the lymphatic system. So if you could do mm-hmm. lemon water first thing in the morning and on a fast, get some movement in, you know, our, our heart pumps our blood. We have this big heart that pumps constantly moving blood through, but we don't have a pump for our lymphatic system. Mm, the way we move movement. our lymph is when we move our body, it contracts your muscles, which squeezes your lymph. And then when your muscles relax, then your, your, you know, the lymph relaxes and then they squeeze again and it moves the lymph and then it relaxes. So we need that motion in our body. So things like rebounding on a trampoline, just getting out and going for a walk, you know, any type of full body exercise or full body movement, yoga, hot yoga, all those things are great 
at aiding in lymphatic detoxification. Those are some really good things. I'm, I want to find a place that does specifically lymphatic drainage massage, mm-hmm. but I'm having a hell of a time. There's I a lot that. in Austin, but um, there's also like the rollers that you can do on your neck and face. Yeah. The too. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah, I put mine in the freezer and then I do it. For, I mean, I say I, it's been in the freezer for months. I've never <laughs> used it. <laughs> <laughs> but you feel really cold, right? You the point really- is that like, yeah, well then it like, it also wakes you up in the morning and like depuffs yeah. you on your face while you're doing it. It's awesome. But it's because exactly- it's in my freezer, I forget about it. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you speak to uh, dry brushing, mm-hmm. which I, I have a dry brush. I forget to use it again, like Jade's saying most of the time, yeah, yeah. but I think it's because I don't, it's not something you can visually know is working and it almost yeah. seems so woo woo. I also like, don't know that I'm, it's, it's a confusing thing to know if you're doing it right and in the right motion. So towards the heart, towards the heart. So the easiest thing that you could do for, for dry brushing, because you're right, they, people try to make it really complex and they're yeah. like, well, you know, the lymph drains this way in this area. It's so so confusing. This, this way you got to go up and this way you got to like spin around and do a little <laughs> But if you're uh, with the roller, if you're rolling up, you're also yeah. rolling down. So yeah, you it's so confusing. <laughs> it's like, here's the easiest way to do all that type of stuff. Just, we just want motion. We don't have okay. to make it complex. It's just brush from your extremity up towards your heart, or okay. some people brush up towards their liver, either one, depending upon what type you're, what you're trying to accomplish. Okay, but okay. just brush from the bottom up from the top down, push everything towards the middle because we want to get it really, we want to get it into the abdomen area because we want the liver to filter everything. We want and the, so- the liver filters your liver. For anyone listening, dry skin brushing is literally taking a fairly coarse uh, dry brush, like uh, it almost looks like a scrubbing brush or back scrubber brush, something like that. Mm-hmm. And you're, and hopefully it's with natural fibers. You're mm-hmm. brushing it on your skin, dry, um, not wet, you know, and and it is stimulating your lymphatic system, correct? And this is supposed to be help, helping with things all the way down to uh, cellulite. 100%. Yeah. So how does it, it, it's the skin. It's just because the lymphatic system is in the fascia and all this under the skin everywhere. Yeah. It's in the fascia. It's under the skin. It's in between the muscles, right? It's where a large quantity, enough of it is. So brushing, making that motion, it's like you're pushing, it's like you're pushing this fluid that's kind of stuck in one area and you're moving it, you know, you're (sighs) moving it from one place to another. Um, you're also improving circulation too. You're stimulating the nerves and you're stimulating the blood vessels yeah. and in the human body, almost everywhere in the human body, you have three vessels that run together, which is blood, lymph, and nerve. So you're stimulating all three of those too, when you're, when you're dry brushing. Beautiful. Okay. Wow. And that brings me- I had no idea. It was that important. Oh, well, yeah. So, Jade, I got a lady. Um, she is, she is, so her name is Jean DePrano and <laughs> Um, she's the bomb. So she is, you can, if you ever want to go to my YouTube channel, you can watch one of her videos. Okay. She's a lady. She is, um, in her seventies and eighties, she was the fastest woman on the planet. Um, and she would compete. She would compete with other people in her age bracket. It's like a 10 or 15 year age bracket. She'd compete all over the place on uh, running. She would run hurdles in her eighties, right? She would run hurdles and she would also do rowing. Those were her two competitions. And she was, she was the fastest. And that lady for 15 years, and she says it on my video, she said, every morning 
she dry brushes. As soon as she gets wow. up, she dry brushes. Man, I have a habit and I do this with books. I yeah. bought five dry brushes probably two years ago. I have not used any of them. I bought them in all different sizes. They just, they sit in my bathroom and I do the same thing with books. I've got hundreds of books that I've never read. So I really need to, this is going to be um, part of my new routine is this dry brushing. So talking like about it. how much lymph fluid we're dealing with in our bodies yeah. is I got to ask how much water should we be drinking then? How like does that play a part into this? And you talked about inter- intracellular um, and extracellular fluid, or I, I don't know if I'm saying those things right. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that idea of of each of our cells essentially having a certain amount of water in them, and then the lymph fluid being so prevalent in our body, what kind of water intake? I mean, we, we hear so many people talking about water needing to be like right. Jade's got a gallon in front of her <laughs> right now. Um, but I've read books like Eat for Heat that talk specifically like someone who runs cold like me should be eating or drinking way less water and eating more salt or, you know, and vice versa if you're the person who's always hot. So what do you think about all that? Again, I think it is specific for a person. It can definitely vary. I think a good kind of like center medium, middle of the road type of answer would be roughly half your body weight in ounces of water. Okay. I drink my body weight. <laughs> same. I drink more than my But if I don't, my skin's dry. I, um, I, I feel better physique wise too when I am yeah. drinking my body weight. Same. I think it was you and I that had to use the bathroom, right? We're saving <laughs> It's because my doctor says that because I'm drinking this water and we test my intercell- intracellular water. No, but it's true. I mean, I want to make this point for both sides of the, the situation because I was always drinking crazy amounts of water. I was always at the bathroom peeing. Like every time I'd fly, I'd have to get up several times. It's a pain in the yeah. butt. I don't pass a bathroom without peeing. Yeah. It might and as well I, thought, there. I thought that's what you have to do. And then <laughs> I started actually blood testing very regularly. And I saw like where my water levels in my cells were. And as I changed the type of water I was drinking to something with more minerals and something I guess I could absorb better and actually hold on to better, um, I didn't have to drink as much water to keep my levels where they uh, need. And I do put, I put Himalayan pink salt in my water as well. Yep. That's what but. I yeah. So Mercedes, you're spot on, right? So some people, especially if their body runs colder, but not necessarily some other people too um, have issues with that. Um, some people, when they're putting too much water in their system, it, it, um, it can, it can almost congest their system. Mm. Um, and other people like me and like Jade, we need more. And I think it is important too, to make sure that your water, that's why I like to run my water through a remineralizer. Mm -hmm. It's important. Like I like what Jade's doing with the pink Himalayan salt. We'll recommend that to patients, or we sometimes recommend that they add some electrolytes to their water. Um, there's another great thing you could do. Have you guys ever heard of a magnesium stick? Mm-mm, mm-mm. Um, okay, so it's Dr. Like, so I forget the name of it. You guys can just, your, the users, uh, the listeners can Google online. Mm-hmm. So it's a magnesium stick and it makes the water very similar to the water that the Inuits would drink. Mm. Um, and their water would be super powerful, like antioxidant water. These people yeah. were like living forever. Um, so, so adding this magnesium stick to their water, it, it created more of almost like an antioxidant water that was really kind of cool, you know, and hmm. for certain groups of people, it, it could be really beneficial. For me, it's not optimal, 
Um, but for other patients, it has been, and, and for certain groups of people, it can be. So it's something for them just to look at. My uh, grandma is is really funny. She's super dramatic. And when I was, <laughs> Mercedes always laughs when I hold this water up to my face. Yeah. Because it's a gallon. It takes up my whole face. And I was drinking it at Thanksgiving. And I heard my grandma behind me, do you want to drown? <laughs> <laughs> It's aggressive. <laughs> um, she, was, she was telling me how if you drink too much water, you could literally drown, drown. yourself. Yeah. Okay. Which Next is time, true. just wear your kids' floaties. When you're yeah. Floaties. <laughs> Wobbling <laughs> into her <laughs> house. Floaties. Yeah. <laughs> That's what drink safely is all about, isn't it? That's right. Um, <laughs> I drink cautiously. Yeah. So, but, and, because you brought up magnesium, magnesium is, uh, I take a reacted magnesium daily. And that's yeah. something that's been difficult for me is to get my magnesium up naturally. Mm-hmm. through diet and such. Um, and I think that also helps me maintain a lot of that water in my colon. And, and yeah, because yeah. I'd struggled with constipation for so long, that's obviously really important for me. Sure. So, yeah, but that's, I'm going to look into that, uh, that magnesium stick that you're talking about there. That's take it out. Yeah. Take, yeah. It, take a look. All right. So apparently there's a wrong and a right way to eat nuts. And oh. I uh, found your video informative. <laughs> so can you just cover this for our listeners? I think it's like a little magic trick that we should all know. Yeah. So I don't know which videos you watch, but I got a couple out there on, on, uh, on nuts. And, um, and one of them is on, is on soaking your nuts. Um, and the other one is on what happens when your, your nuts are in the water. And um, the first one with soaking your nuts, it's like when we, when we look at nuts and we're looking at eating nuts and seeds, sometimes it's, um, nuts and seeds contain different like anti-nutrients. Um, they're things that kind of interfere with the absorption of the nutrients in that, in the nut, like phytic acid, for example, is one of them. So when you soak the nut overnight or the seed overnight, it pulls out phytic acid and some of the other anti-nutrients. And then the next morning you rinse them and, uh, they're now way more nutritious for mm. your, body. your body can absorb the nutrients in the nuts and seeds more effectively. And if you like a dry nut afterwards, you can dehydrate them. You can put them in like, you know, 106, 108 degree uh, dehydrator and you can dehydrate them if you want to, you know, season them with whatever you want to season them with, like some Himalayan salt or some cayenne, turmeric, whatever. You're, you're good at that point and you get actually more nutritious nut or seed. So mm. yeah, that's the, yeah, that's how they work, right? Just in nature, like nuts are, are like, if you put a nut on a counter, nothing happens to it. You got to plant it and the water has to be right in the ground and the environment has to be right. When there's enough water, it'll right. sprout, right? So, because it's not, it's not going to get rid of those, those, the, it's just how it's made, right? Wow. So without getting too scientific on it. So the, so when you, when you soak them, you flush out the anti-nutrients, you make them more absorbable for your body. It makes it easier. Do they still you. taste the yeah. same? No, they taste a little different. They, they're like a little soggy. Yeah, <laughs> um, they're an acquired taste. I love them now. Like I don't have yeah. any problems. I know um, it's important to keep your. A lot of people don't know this, but like keeping all nuts in the refrigerator because they grow mold that you can't see. Um, but I soak my cashews and then I blend them, and I turn that into a vegan cheese and a vegan sour cream, and it's delicious. You guys are cool. <laughs> but you also showed a video of um, what happens if they float. Oh yeah. If they float, they'll make you bloat. Um, yeah. So yeah. if you, yeah. So the nuts, so nuts, when the fats, when the fats in the nuts go rancid, there's a chemical reaction that happens that changes the buoyancy of the nut. Instead of it sinking, it actually floats to the surface of the water. So 
you can go ahead and you can, you know, whatever nuts you're going to soak, if you're going to do that the night before, you just fill them up in a bowl and you fill the bowl up with like some good clean water. And if there's a couple that float on the top, you just pull them off and toss them. Hmm. Now, when it comes, I have no, tell me again, stop me if this is going too far into land we don't need to go into, but um, when it comes to uh, arginine arginine levels in nuts, yes, and when you're trying to not, um, especially with like herpetic outbreaks, um, you know, viruses are prone to I guess, react or be, um, come out of their dormancy whenever arginine levels get too high and lysine levels get too low. Am I saying, okay. And so in that situation with nuts being high arginine, Uh does this have any effect on it by doing the, the soaking of the nuts and making sure they're not rancid. Cause I've heard that that's a big part of, of how that interacts with viruses in your body. Yeah. So the, so the rancid part for sure, you want to make sure your nuts are not rancid. Soaking them is not necessarily going to get rid of the arginine. That's, okay. that's part of the protein matrix inside the nut, but you're spot on, you know, when, when your arginine levels get too high and your lysine levels, then, you know, by, by just mathematically just get too low you do create an environment in your body where specifically the herpetic viruses, you know, instead of megalovirus, you know, um, mm. Epstein-Barr virus have more yeah. of a chance of mm. reacting. So, yeah. Beautiful. So, yeah. Okay. So we always have magic mob questions. Patty asks, how do we get to the root cause of stubborn fat or the inability to lose or gain weight? Well, you, you have to test. I mean, you got to, the, the only way I know to do that, because what you're asking is what's the, what you're essentially asking is what's the cause of my problem. Right. Mm-hmm. And in truth, one of the things that like, I'll say to my, my, my patients, look, it's, uh, it's not that I want to help you lose weight because I don't think that the target should really be your weight. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I want to get your body healthy so it can lose the weight. Cause that's yeah. why you're struggling with weight. Your body's just unhealthy because healthy bodies can more easily lose weight. So, um, so the answer to that question is really the only answer I have is to look and identify the cause or reason why. And that involves getting with the right practitioner or learning the information yourself, getting yourself tested, finding out where the outpoint is and then correcting it. And a lot of times I know, um, for women and men, instead of saying stubborn weight, it's like stubborn belly fat. Mm -hmm. And so that's usually, um, if you're if you're not gaining fat all over and it's just in the belly fat, a lot of times it's um, what it can be candida, it can be um, parasites, it can be so many other things that we talked about. So only things, you know, when you just look at the hormonal upset, we could just look at like three basic hormones, and we can go, well, cortisol is going to make you store fat in your midsection. Yeah, estrogen is going to make you store fat in your hips, buttocks, thighs. Um, so you make it more like a parasite. Well, I want that. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Lots of flax. <laughs> flax. Okay. <laughs> if we, if you have, because we mentioned also, <laughs> we mentioned also thyroid, right? The thyroid we said is connected to every single cell in your body through the mitochondria and thyroid cases, they typically gain weight all over, right? So mm-hmm. you can almost look at where the person is depositing fat and you can go, well, if it is a lot of belly fat, we can look at cortisol and if there's cortisol problems. We know there's probably some other problems, like some type of pathogen, like you just said, candida or something like that that's present. Yeah. When it comes to that, I'm curious if you um, you recommend maca powder and also um, bioidentical 
progesterone because I, since I struggle with making progesterone, I was putting on a bioidentical organic progesterone cream. And I mean, you can tell the days I take it. I act like I'm on birth control. I act like the most moodiest, most on edge person. So it's not working for me, even though my body needs it. So it's, it's odd that I had that I effect. Want to know. So that's, that's a really good question. Um, so when people need progesterone, what their body's telling them is they don't need progesterone. Their body's telling them you're probably making a little too much cortisol, right? So you're, cause you're, okay. So I'm fixing it with the, with yeah. the other things. So, okay. So here's the thing, Jade. So check this out. If your body's stealing progesterone, uh, a progesterone to make cortisol. And then I go, well, let me throw a whole bunch of progesterone on here. My body's going to go great. Now I can make a ton of cortisol. You want to go out of your mind. Oh, it, it made me, uh, it made me feel cuckoo, but Dan, that was an expensive bottle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to also point out, um, just because we did have a question about the body weight, we, we do promote on the show, like loving the body you're in and, um, you know, the mixed messages we get about the perfect body and things like that. And, um, when we talk about body weight here, um, we're more talking about, um, how to well, become your most healthy self. Yes. Yeah. Right. On, and on the inside. And when it's, when it's something that, you know, there's a root cause we're not. Yeah. Yeah. I look at, so maybe some people are going to hate me for this response, but I look at my body. I look at it as it's a tool. So it's a tool that I'm going to use to create an effect in life. It's, it's a tool I'm going to use to be a great dad or the best dad I can be the best husband I could be, the best doctor that I could be. Mm-hmm. And, and I have to make sure my body's operating properly to be able to allow me to do those things to be of service for others, right? So it's, it's my viewpoint on my body is, is that, one, it's a tool, and two, it's, a, it's an instrument of creating an effect, meaning I want to create an effect on the people around me. And the effect that I want to create is I'm a healthy doctor. I don't want, I mean, if I was 200 pounds heavier sitting on the show with you, you guys would probably be like, well, maybe he knows stuff, but he's certainly not doing mm-hmm, what he's doing. Right? Mm. So there's, there's an effect that I want to create with that. So I think for people, as long, whatever your body looks like, as long as one, you're healthy, you feel good, and you're doing those things you know you should do to make your body healthy. Look, if you're healthy and you happen to be 15 pounds heavier than someone else, who cares? Right. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. It's like, what's the, you know, what are you, what are you trying to do with your physical form? Unless you're a model, unless you're something like that, then that could be a little mm-hmm. different because there's a different type of effect you're trying to create. Right. But overall, look, I think it's vital and paramount for us to first focus on ourselves as creating the healthiest self we could be so that yeah. way we can be as much to others as we can possibly be. Yeah, yeah. I love that. We like that. And yeah. I think that, uh, when we're talking specifically about fat or AKA, what are we calling it? Excess uh, fuel or stored fuel. Yeah. Potential energy. Beautiful. Um, Getting to know specifically what the different types of fat are, because we have different types of fat. Um, I don't know the names of them. Visceral. um, uh, Well, I can't think of any of the names of them right now, but the different types of fat and the way that we store them around our organs um, for protection or when it becomes so much of that type of fat that it's unhealthy and it's hurting us. And just knowing the way to, again, you know, maybe it's just my like overly analytical mind that wants to define and label and have specifics of, of how my body works. But that for me really helps me to then go, okay, well, this is why this is at an unhealthy place for me and 
how, you know, why I want to be able to repair it. And then um, that's motivation for me to get on track to being my healthiest self. So I don't know if that helps anyone. I love that. I love that, Mercedes. Just like, I don't know, I guess uh, the millennials are, are a generation of labeling and I'm all for it. So I don't mm-hmm. <laughs> It helps you, at least for me, when something has a label, it makes it more easily understood. Yeah, it's, it's for less sure. ambiguous, right? It's like, yeah. that's that. Okay, great. What do I do about that? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Great. I can think with that. That's how we feel. Yeah. yeah. One step closer to figuring it out for yourself instead of when it's ambiguous, it's you have fear. Oh, I hate ambiguity. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have control issues at all on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Give it all to right. me straight. <laughs> um, all right. So Dan on Instagram asks, is it best to juice or to blend? Oh, it really just depends on the individual. Um, you know, if you're, it just depends on the individual, what you're trying to do, what your end goal is. If you're, mm-hmm. if you're really unhealthy and you do have something like cancer or more kind of like terminal disease, you can't digest well, your gut's really a mess, but we want to infuse your bloodstream with the nutrients you would find in vegetables and things like juicing are mm-hmm. going to be better because, you know, you can't eat that much broccoli, especially if you're sick, right. you know, if you have a cancer or something like that, um, it makes things much more difficult. So for those guys, juicing is better. Um, for the other guys that want to blend that they feel like they need that, um, then blending is great because blending you're you're able to quickly get down a whole bunch of vegetables that you that you would need, um, and you're able to absorb a lot of the nutrients from them because you're breaking down the fiber. So I think generally, probably I would lean towards blending if I had mm-hmm. a choice to yeah. blending. Yeah, I would lean, I would lean towards blending because you're getting the fiber in there that helps your gut back bacteria. Um, so I was thinking with the slow masticating juicer, you're like actually getting all of the benefits because it's like chewing it for you almost. Yeah. So here's the thing with the slow masticated mm-hmm. juicer. So I, so that's really good because the benefit on that is when you spin something in a juicer, it spins so fast that it breaks apart the enzymes and it actually it heats up. So at the microscopic level, mm-hmm. it's all hot and it, it actually will uh, kill the enzymes. Mm-hmm. So, so when you juice some of the juicers that spin really fast, you're getting a less nutritious juice because mm-hmm. it's, Killing off that stuff. You're killing the enzymes. Mm. But with a masticator like that, those are really good because you're not doing that. You're just kind of crunching it, but Mm -hmm. you're still missing a lot of like the fiber for some people who really need that fiber. So I see. Again, there's benefits to each one. It really depends. And if you're asking me, is it better to have a masticating juicer or a regular fast spin? The masticating. Masticating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, million, million, million times. Takes a little while. You'll be there for a minute. Yeah. It makes me wonder though, too, with the idea of, um, drink your food, chew your water, you know, mm-hmm. you're drinking a smoothie, it's just kind of like going straight in, right? You're not really mushing that stuff around. So is yeah. that something you recommend is to kind of let it be in your mouth for a little bit first, chew let it. your saliva imprint on it. 100%. All right. it. That's yeah. a cool little tip. And then I also want to just add that I read up the other day on Manuka honey, which is obviously beautiful mm. and I've used forever, but don't put it in your hot tea because you're killing oh. off all the bioactive <laughs> guys in oh i didn't think about that yeah i was like am i i also because we talked about so much about water i was thinking about how like most of the water i drink i do put the salt or the lemon or the acv and i don't drink that much just water is that is that okay (laughs) she's all scared i like how this is jade's doctor appointment today <laughs> Amazing. That's why we got a podcast. <laughs> yeah, you're good. You're good with the ACV. Okay. 
<laughs> All right. Someone else's question. Last question from the Magic Mob. Tom asks, what is your take on GMOs? Should they be avoided at all costs? All costs. Okay. All costs. There's a lot of, it's, it's weird that there's so many, um, so much debate on this. But it's let's give us the, the basics on GMO because this yeah. is something that I feel like most of the population has no idea. Like you start sure. saying letters like GMO, you're like, I don't know. They don't even that. think about it when they're at the store, a lot of people. Right. Yeah, they, they, they don't, right? Um, the two categories are often organic versus non-organic. Um, not Conventional. GMO. Um, so GMO, so stands for genetically modified organism. And what, what they're doing is um, there's a... There's a substance, right, that's basically found in Roundup, these herbicide, pesticide type of concoctions uh, called glyphosate. And glyphosate, before 1994, was able to be sprayed on crops, but it wasn't that often, right? It was, it was sprayed maybe about once a year or something, and it would, it, would, it, would, it would help to prevent the crops from being destroyed by, you know, environmental factors, you know. So, um, so which was good, which was good for the, for the, the guys and it was kind of toxic, but not super toxic Mm -hmm. when they genetically modified them. What they did is they literally changed the gene structure, the genome of the plants. So the plants were able to tolerate more glyphosate. So before they could only spray them like once a year, Um, they'd spray them once a year and then that's all they could do. Now they could spray these things like crazy and just load them up with glyphosate. It won't kill the plants and it will, because it's there, it'll prevent the plant from dying from any environmental factors like pesticides, weeds, that that type of stuff. So it keeps the plant more healthy. So they get, they get bigger yields or they get more crops. But what we get is a load more of this glyphosate in our Mm. food source. It's actually something I test for in my clinic. There's a urine study wow. that we do for this. Yeah. Um, and it's through Great Great Plains Diagnostic, is it? Yeah, Great Plains. That's what Dr. Jess uses. Yeah, they're awesome. <laughs> we use a handful of different labs around the country, but Great, Great Plains is good. So, but this glyphosate then has been added massively to, to the crops and then people eat this stuff. And what we see just looking at things from a broad viewpoint, right? Step mm-hmm. back outside the planet and just let's put it, put the planet out here and let's look and see what's happening. And we see in 1994 was when GMOs started to be incorporated in our foods as our as a food source, and then we see a sharp increase after that. Prior to 1994, we see disease increasing, but it's at this pace, right? It's mm-hmm. it's going up. It's not good. It's going up, but we see like type two diabetes and things like that increasing. But then we add genetically modified foods in 1994, and all of a sudden things go, and they go straight up through the roof. Wow. And that's from the glyphosate. So I, for some reason, I thought GMO was like fake food. Like we're making corn that's not actually corn. Kind of. They are kind of doing that. Okay. The reason reason they're making it genetically modified is to make it more resistant to the glyphosate, more resistant to the glyphosate so they could spray more glyphosate. Which means more glyphosate. It's like, look, if I could spray more weed killer on my right. plants without killing them, that means there's less weeds, so I'm going to have more plants grow, right? right. Less pesticides. Glyphosate's a pesticide. If we spray less pesticide, more pesticide on the plants without killing them, that means I have more plants because less plants mm-hmm. will be killed by the pests, by the bugs. So glyphosate, we know, destroys the microbiome. It just, it is like, just kills the human microbiome. It's so horrible for our gut. 
And we think that that's why there's this connection between the adding of the GMOs and then the increase or spike in really diseases, you know, in our country. So horrible. Yeah. And you say in our country, because not all countries even allow this. That's right. Yeah. Some are like, no way. Yeah. uh, And I'm sure everyone listening has probably heard the word Monsanto by now. Mm -hmm. Um, And to speak to your point, the idea of, you know, the, the, just to be clear, I want to repeat things so people understand this concept of GMO being this genetically modified organism modifying this the seed specifically you know creating the fake plant that jade's speaking to um it's not fake as far as our bodies are consuming it we think it's corn or we think it's soy or whatever it is but the glyphosate fate is is giving us some negative side effects that we're seeing in disease right we're we're thinking that we're seeing that as as a problem that's already become a big problem. It's going to become a bigger problem down the line. But the reason, so everyone's asking themselves, well, why are we doing that? Because farmers get a higher crop yield when they put more pesticides on their crops because the bugs don't eat it. So it looks like pretty corn or fruit or whatever it is in the grocery store. And a large part of that is the way that we choose our produce in the grocery store is we look for the prettiest one. Mm -hmm. And that's something we're kind of taught. It, mm-hmm. Just because it's a little uglier doesn't mean it's tasty. Prettier and the bigger. So we get right. the bigger fruit, which yes. is usually the GMO. Right. The prettier fruit that doesn't turn brown as quickly is usually the GMO. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot of uh, of cultural stories around how we even choose our produce and shop in the grocery store that we have to decide to untangle um, in order to, to help the situation move in the right direction. And then if anyone interested, anyone listening is interested, researching why Monsanto is a big issue now that they're, I think, a conglomerate with like Bayer aspirin or whatever, or Bayer generally. Um, and to speak to Jade's point about the other countries not using Monsanto seed, a lot of them don't. Some of them are forced to, like Haiti has had a big problem with Monsanto seed and calls it Satan seed. They have like seed burning ceremonies where they burn the seed because they understand how bad this is going to be for their community. Um, But places like Hawaii, where every farm on Hawaii now, I think, is Monsanto seed, not on purpose, but because the wind is obviously high there all the time and the seed gets carried sometimes from one farm to the next, which might be next door neighbors. And Monsanto, because they're this giant conglomerate with tons of money, goes on and tests these different farmers' crop and says, hey, that's our seed. That's our GMO product. And we're going to sue you for using our seed without, you know, without us saying or basically without buying it from us. And the farmer's like, I don't want your seed. I don't want to be growing this shit. I'm trying to grow something organic. And because this this lawsuit happens for so many of these farmers, they are forced to then use Monsanto seed after the lawsuit. So that is why it's become like this really serious epidemic in the farming community, as well as in all of our you know lives where we're ingesting the shit. And yeah, we... Um with Monsanto being such a corrupt company, like we, the way we help is by not giving them our money, by not buying right. GMOs GMO products. And, yeah. But it was also my understanding that like, there's no more, unless it's organic, there's no more real corn or real pea. Soy, um, I think in corn or the soy. Real, yeah. The soy that like, milk. that's how bad it's gotten. Mm-hmm. That if it's not organic, it's actually not even real yeah. anymore. I think there's a lot of truth to that statement, Jade, you know, to speak to what Mercedes just said, 
that's one of the problems is when we look at how nature works anyway, you know, and pollination and things work, it's like air brings things from one place to another and animals and birds and bees, they bring things from different places to other places. And we get the cross pollination yeah. and things like that. So it's like, you do, you do start to have these issues where, um, where the food sources are just, you know, are there any clean seeds? Anymore? Yeah. Even is it too late? Like what's happening at the level of the organic food? Have they been affected? If some of the seed, if some of the food, if some of the crop, some of the soil been infected and almost like, you know, depurified by, by this garbage, you know? So it's, yeah. it's definitely something I think as a population, we really need to focus on. I think it's very important. Yeah. And it's tough because we all, what are we going to do? Grow our own food at this point? We've, <laughs> we've gone so far into being convenienced, you know, by so many uh, ways that, our culture allows us to just have these conveniences, step into a market and pick your fruit. And we don't do the things that take up all that energy, like growing our own food, but it might be a big um, way that you could help to fight this problem if you're interested. Yeah. Yeah. It almost makes me feel like if we don't, then in 10 years, we won't have a choice. It'll just be GMO. That's it. Mm -hmm. There are some seed banks around the world that are like vaults because, you know, that's the last of that seed as far as Monsanto's concerned, they don't even mm-hmm. want that to exist. So it's it's just a scary little place where yeah, it's all about uh, money. Capitalism gets a little yeah. too heavy for us. But yeah, yeah. I, th- I you know I just wish like I'm totally cool with capitalism provided it has a, a great purpose behind it. You know I think mm-hmm. as long as we're helping and whatever you're doing that's capitalistic in nature is something that's going to bring value to people's lives and yeah. help improve everyone's lives. Man, be as capital as you want to be. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Agreed. When you're, when you're using capitalism as a tool to generate money by making everyone you're connected to sick, that's disgusting. Yes. Yeah. It's a horrible thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like it. We're in this together, guys. We'll figure it out. Oh, man. <laughs> we are. Let's get our floaties in a big 64-ounce the good good water yeah all right there's a few short questions like to ask everyone who comes on the show if you could hug your younger self right now what would you say say that question again if you could hug your younger self right now what would you say i could hug my younger self right now what would i say i would say um man that's a really good question Younger self, like like how old? Whatever. Any age that needed the Whatever. hug. Yeah, popped up. Oh, shit, man. It's a lot of ages. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say... I would say... To myself, to my younger self, the hug I would give would be... I would say don't... Oh, shit, man, I don't know what I would say. That's a really good, I've never even thought about that. What would I say to my younger self? I, you know what I would say? I would say, um, you can do this. I would say mm-hmm. you can do this. Even, even though it looks so dark, I promise there's a purpose for everything that you're going through right now. Um, there's a purpose for it. And, mm-hmm. and, just don't, and just don't quit. You know, because there was, there was definitely times in my life like when my, mom and dad were really sick and guys getting yeah. emotional here. Yeah. Um, when my mom and dad were really sick and there was times, you know, I remember, oh, geez, I remember I was in sixth grade and we just, I just found out the day before that my, um, my mom had cancer and I was sitting in class and, um, 
I went to Catholic school and I was Italian. So I went to this Catholic school and there was this nun, Sister Mary Cosmas, that taught the class. She was an interesting woman. And she, um, I was acting up really bad. You know, I was like just being disrupted and stuff. Yeah. She pulls me out of the class. She grabbed me by the ear, yanks me out of the class. She's like, the beast, what's your problem? What's wrong with you? And I was like, what, what, nothing. And she's like, why are you acting this way? And it just hit me. And I looked at her and I was like, I think my mom's going to die. Mm. And, um, and I, I, I had such a close relationship with my mom and dad. And um, it just, you know, there was moments what seeing my parents go through all the stuff they went through was really rough. I became their caregiver at different parts of my life, which is really strange for a young yeah. kid, you know, having to do that, like a 12 year old kid or whatever. And, um, and there was times when I just wanted to like, just give up, you know? Yeah. And, and I think I would just, I, I didn't understand why. And, and coming through the other end, there's, there's lessons I've learned from that. And there's passions that I've created. And not that I'm glad my parents went through anything like that because I'm not, but the thing that I would say to myself in that hug would just be like, you know, don't quit. Don't give up. There's a purpose for this. There's a reason for this. You're going to learn from this. Um, that's what I would say. Hmm. Wow. That's beautiful. Yeah. Crazy. Well, you (laughs) really gets you in the feels, huh? Here guys. (laughs) (laughs) If you could have the whole world read one book, which would it be? One book, um, for the whole world. J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. No. Uh (laughs) Although I do love that book. No, it would probably be something helpful. Like, um, maybe eat to live by Joel Furman. Mm. Okay. That's a really good book. I think it would be really good for if we could all adopt the mindset of eat to live, not just for the neurotransmitter relief we get from it, right? Like, oh, that cannoli was so good. I feel yeah. amazing. I feel like hell afterwards. But if they could understand the concept of really eating to live and, and consuming different foods because it has a positive effect on our body's ability to do what we need to do so we could carry out our purposes and missions in life. I think that would be a good book. I thought you were going to say uh, "Eat, Move, and Be Healthy" by Paul Chuck for because oh. I heard you say "Eat." I just ordered <laughs> yeah. that. So, that. oh, is that one of your books? You go, I just yeah. ordered it. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, that is, yeah. I think that's really great advice that you're speaking to in that book. I haven't read it specifically. I actually do have it in my my audiobook library. Um, but I I notice, of course, that's one of the things we all go to when we think of how we're mistreating our bodies with food is the psychological end of it and um, how to get through that piece. And then of course, like figuring out what now, once we do that, what we do want to be putting in our bodies. I notice in myself, I have this like story I have been telling myself that when I'm around my husband, I overeat. Hmm. And the story I'm telling myself that happens there is that him being around, like us being around, which we don't get a lot of time together. We both travel for work is usually while we're eating together. And so if I prolong it by mm. eating for a longer time, then it's more time spent with him. So that's an interesting little story I have to unwind for myself. But I've also read before, um, you overeat because something's o- eating at you. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're overeating in a moment, it's because also, so, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I mean... So I'll, here, I'll say this, Jade, I will completely validate that statement. Um, when something's eating at you, we know neurochemically there's something going on that's like yeah. negative, right? There's mm-hmm. cortisol mm-hmm. going up. There's certain negative neurochemicals going on. When you eat food, food has been designed to create a positive neurochemical experience because you want it to be good, just like yeah. you want sex to be good because that helps you live and it helps procreate, procreate the species, yeah. right? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, so you want food to be good. So when you're feeling when something's eating at you, yeah, you want to eat. And sometimes mm, you makes sense. Yeah. to neurochemically balance the other side of all the junk that's going on. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes the reason why there's like food addictions and things like that. Yeah. yeah. Mm, wow. All right. If you could whisper one phrase to everyone on the planet, what would you say? One phrase to everyone. You guys ask some cool questions. <laughs> One phrase to everyone, I would say, so because I do what I do, I would say, people probably won't like me for this phrase, but it's what's true for me. So um, I would say health is your duty. That's what Mm -hmm. I would say. I would say it's your duty to be healthy because there's so many people that love you and you're so valid Mm -hmm. and there's people that need you. You know, there's kids that need you. There's a husband or a wife that needs you. There's a work or an environment that needs you. You're so needed that it is your responsibility. It is your duty to create health in your body so you can carry out the things that you need to, to have fulfillment personally and Mm -hmm. also to help all the other people that you need to help. Um, So I would say, yeah, I would say health is your duty. That would be my, my statement. I really like that. Yeah. Is that a good one? Um, yeah. So um, I was curious if you know your animal ally or spirit animal. I have no idea. What do you think? No. Um, I'm able to see animal allies on people. Um, yeah. And what I saw for you was alligator, um, right. which sounds really odd. I would have always thought I was an elephant um, because okay. I feel so drawn to them. And it was, I became, uh, I became aware that it was fox, which I never even think about foxes, but it's because, um, that animal has messages specifically for me in this time. Um, but anyhow, I Googled alligator, um, meaning spiritual meaning, and it says the alligator or crocodile meaning urges you to conserve life and do everything in your power to protect and save it. It also reminds you to take care of your spirit because when the spirit is unhealthy, the body also suffers. Your spirit is what gives your body life and physical strength. That I'm not even kidding. When I say could not be more spot on for me. Yeah. And I didn't know that's what alligator meant when I saw, obviously when you were being an alligator in front of me, (laughs) I just thought, well, let me look up what it means because it is random. That's I've amazing. Seen you need to have before. a whole other show, Jade. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. That's so, that totally indicates to me because like I'm all about creating a healthy body, but I'm about it because like my viewpoint, this is just my, my viewpoint. Other it's hand in hand. Right. Is we're spiritual beings and we're having this physical experience. So we have this body that we're mm-hmm. in, but yeah. much like, you know, much like I'm in and out of my car, it doesn't mean I'm my car and I don't, I don't mm-hmm. think that I'm a body. So I think it's uh, a good way to put that. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think you, so I don't think that I have a body. And I think the most, one of the most important things for me is just spirituality, because I think my thoughts, my decisions, how I am as a spiritual mm-hmm. being is so pervasive and affects everything. It affects mm-hmm. the outcome, I think. And I also think how you're treating your body and how your body appears um, resembles a bit of what's going on inside as well. Um, not just like not just the health side of it, but the spiritual side. I mean, Um, but yeah, when I see animal allies, I hardly ever know what they mean. I'm just like, Oh, that guy is a bat. Um, (laughs) And I don't know. I don't know anything about it, but I just thought like, well, alligator is so unique to see on someone. Let me just see what it means really quick. And then it it ended up lining up really well. So you're cool, man. That's really, (laughs) Um, it's a great, that's an amazing ability, Jade. It's really cool. cool. Yeah. It, 
it, I, um, at first it was like, I felt like I was going crazy, but once I was able to find a way for it to benefit people, then I was like, okay, let me sharpen this. Um, but, uh, before we let you go, where can people find you online? Oh, sure. So my website is just, it's a alternacareinc.com. So it's a L T E R N A C A R E I N C.com. So we'll link that in the notes. Sure. Cool. Google Alternicare and Dr. Rob and I'll sh- I should pop up. Yeah. Awesome. This has been so amazing. You've spent like three hours with three us. hours. I think it's obviously two episodes. Yeah. <laughs> this is maybe our longest interview. So I am so grateful for you sticking with us because I, I mean, I, we could sit here and talk all day. I would love to talk to you all day, but, um, you have a life to live. I feel and, like I spent the day at people's clinic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, I do want to really thank you for, for sharing your vulnerability with us through your story mm-hmm. and being such a wealth of information, which I know has probably taken you so many years of hard, dedicated research um, and work to get to where you are with that. And it is very impressive and extremely healing and helpful to I'm mm-hmm. sure anyone who allows themselves to listen and absorb this and especially for for I know myself and I'm sure Jade. So I just want to say thank you. I wish you all yeah. the success. We wish you all the success and we will do what we can from our side at this show to help you to embody all of that. Yeah. Oh. Thanks well, for being guys- a light. Thank you very much. And you guys are very welcome and I think the statement that you have about light really embodies the both of you because mm. talking to both of you, yeah, and just getting to kind of meet you over here, I do see that in both of you, just this great shining light. And I, I can see how whatever it is that you do in your life is gonna is just so impactful to others because you've definitely impacted me tonight. So thank you. No, thank you. Yeah, sincerely for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you, you so much. Yeah. All right. So let's see what I got for magic. <sighs> All right. For my magic trick today, I've got something actually pulled straight from Dr. Rob's page, his Instagram. Um, This is basically about, okay, this is a a personal one for me because I use a hair blow dryer, obviously to dry my hair like many people, but Mm -hmm. I also tend to use it whenever the room is like freezing cold. If I go to like a hotel room and I first get in there or something, it's freezing and I, or I'm freezing to the bone, I will turn on the blow dryer and like stand in front of it until I'm warm. You know what I mean? My kids like me to blow them with it in the face. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, put it under my shirt or just whatever, sit in front of it and warm up. Um, It's kind of like a pet peeve that my husband has with me too, because he's like, get out of the bathroom with the blow dryer. (laughs) (laughs) But he's always keeping the house freezing. Okay. So anyway, the thing is that Dr. Rob speaks on this post to the EMF um, waves, the electromagnetic. Which I had no idea about. Yeah. So EMF is is an electromagnetic field. I'm sure a lot of us have heard about this when it comes to like cell phone use and that type of thing. You don't want to mm-hmm. keep it close to your head or on your body parts, like you're in your bra or something like that, um, because that can be bad. And a lot of people can be, are very sensitive to electromagnetic radiation. So when it comes to blow dryers, doesn't mean you have to stop blow drying your hair and dry it by campfire, he says, but Um, This is about, you know, raising the awareness of electromagnetic radiation, especially for those who are sensitive to it, which is Mm -hmm. probably all of us (laughs) to some degree or another. Um, 
And he says that electromagnetic fields occur when electricity is running from one point to another. And some of these electromagnetic field, electro, well, EMF, EMF. yeah, <laughs> are thought to be dangerous to the human body and may produce cancer, according to the World Health Organization's International Agency for Research on Cancer. However, there is other information that is contrary, showing electromagnetic fields may be safe for the, for the human body. So, you know, take it all with a grain of salt. Obviously, we want to be safe over, the, be rather safe than sorry. Um, and it is known that blow dryers do create a fairly significant EMF. Um, so electromagnetic field. But the good news is the farther away you hold the blow dryer from your head, the weaker the field, the electromagnetic field becomes. So if you want to do that, then hold the blow dryer about three feet away, which is about arm's length to reduce the EMF waves um, pretty significantly. And it'll probably not cause any problem for you. So that's his recommendation there. Uh, he also does recommend a few different blow dryers, which if you want to go on his page and take a look at those on his post, um, it'll be, I'm sure, beneficial to anyone willing to do that. Yeah, I had no idea. And I'm very careful with EMF. So mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to do that. I'm not going to blow my kids in the face with it anymore. <laughs> um, What's but, your magic? Um, Mine's also pulled from his page, and this is something I had no idea about. So apparently, baby carrots are soaked in bleach for five minutes. I had I had no idea. So I have heard this I, on like this a viral thing. Yeah. So I did hear that like decaf coffee is like run through engine oil to like remove what? the caffeine. I've heard crazy stuff like that, but I'd never heard about what? baby carrots That's and bleach. Crazy. So first off, he says baby carrots are cut from larger carrots, and then they are polished. So essentially they are missing their outside skin and which is super beneficial. But um, this practice was first invented in 86 to prevent carrot waste by a man named Mike Eurosek, who was a farmer in California. But unfortunately these baby carrots are soaked in chlorine bleach water for up to a maximum of five minutes. And this practice is approved by the FDA with the idea of it helping to reduce foodborne illness Mm. In fact, various fruits and vegetables may be sprayed in a chlorine bath. However, the baby carrots have a unique problem in his opinion. If you look at an adult carrot, you'll see it has a skin. Many fruits and vegetables, such as apples, also have a skin. Mm-hmm. Well, the skin of the apple protects the inside pulp from the harsh outside environment. The True. skin acts as the barrier, right? So if you were to spray some chlorine bleach water on the skin of an apple, it'll have a harder time soaking into the pulp. However, if you completely peel the skin and then sprayed it with a chlorine bleach, the chlorine will soak into that pulp. So this is why this is such a big deal about the baby carrots is it's not only just being soaked in bleach, it's also removing the outside skin. So it's so much more susceptible to absorbing the contaminants from the, from the bleach. So don't do it. Yeah. If you want some baby carrots, just make them yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Cut up Um, a big one and yeah. Um, I know it's like on, it's so convenient for veggie trays and for snacks for kids, but, um, it's been soaked in bleach. So yeah. And Dr. That, Rob, um, he speaks to how good carrots are for us. Adult mm-hmm. with skin, you know, carrots, uh, clean them obviously in that, but, um, it's just slice them up a few times and you got yourself some carrot sticks. So. But also like any skin, like the red skin on apples is mm-hmm. so good for our guts. Mm-hmm. But like he says, so many fruit, so many fruits and vegetables are sprayed with chlorine. So that's another reason to buy organic um, because then you're getting that um, red skin that's pure from the red apple. pesticide all over it. Yeah. Right. And it's so beneficial for 
the buddies in our belly is what I like to call them. The buddies the in our belly. I know. <laughs> and I always say gut bugs and I feel like that has a negative connotation. I think it sounds like, like parasites. Yeah. I yeah. mean, when I say gut bugs, and if you heard me say it earlier in the show, I mean, our buddies in our belly. I mean, our, yeah. our microbiome bacteria friends and yeah. sometimes our foe as well, if they get over colonized mm-hmm. in the wrong direction. But anyway, <laughs> you guys, if you have listened to this entire episode all the way through, I know, first of all, you have absorbed so much incredible information here. Um, wow. That was, this is definitely one of my favorite episodes, like by far in a way. I knew it would be. Yeah, I know you. I knew you knew. Because <laughs> there was so much science in it and there's so much hormone yeah. talk. That's just right, my jam. Um, and I just want to say that, you know, listeners, thank you for doing the work of listening to a podcast like this that speaks to so much of the you know and like like dr rob was saying it's a little nerdy but Mm -hmm. it's for your own benefit and the benefit of those around you and it's so beautiful that you guys who do come on here and listen to the show and absorb this stuff are doing that work and i'm so glad to be sharing the planet with you guys yeah say about that Yeah. Thanks you guys. And thank you so much for tuning in and taking this journey with us. If this episode held some magic for you, like it did for us, please share it with your friends and family. I am sure that they would benefit from at least one of the tidbits that we discussed here. (laughs) So this, you know, would benefit your loved one's health. So it would also mean the world to us because yes. we want to get this episode out there and we want it to benefit people as well. Also, don't forget to join us on our Instagram page at the magic hour and let us know what your favorite episodes have been so far. We appreciate all of your feedback and we really want to know what's lighting you up. Yes. And we release a new episode every Monday so you can catch us again next week or go listen to some of our past podcast episodes in our library. Now we'll meet you there until then. Be, be a light. And I've done the, now I'm like, <laughs> can we pinky promise? I know. Um, I know normally we're like, namaste. I'm supposed to have sex in like 30 minutes. Oh no. <laughs> like, get it ready. Warm it up. All these fake candles. <laughs> it's going to take right. 10 minutes just to light those. <laughs> um, all right. Oh, um, shit. Put, keep that in the show. Okay, let's go. <laughs> That's all part of health, Jade. Healthy sex life, healthy spiritual Get life. Get to the magic tricks. Get to the magic tricks. Mercedes, oh my you, want, you want to go first or you want me? <laughs>